0: streets and a very warm welcome to this special edition of Diversity Podcast, talking about diversity and inclusion in the world of financial services. In each episode, we seek to shine a light on positive progress call out areas requiring further focus and offer plenty of ideas to help drive change. And we are particularly delighted that this episode is recorded in front of a live audience at the Women in Payment Symposium in Toronto and I'm joined on the main stage by our three guests. Our first guest is Executive Vice President Global Business Payments at Scotiabank, Rania Llewellyn. Rania is responsible for the payments infrastructure strategy for the bank, defining a global payments governance and operating model where she oversees the execution of the key initiatives for global business payments. And our second guest today is Tanya Van Beeson, the Executive Director of Catalyst here in Canada, with a mission to accelerate progress for women through workplace inclusion, working alongside a wide range of supporters, corporate partners, leaders and industry stakeholders. And our third guest today is Suzanne Denencourt. Suzanne is the Managing Director of Ingenico Group, responsible for all aspects of the Canadian operation. And she is an advisor for various industry boards, including an advisor for Women in Payments Canada. And it is at this point that I invite this wonderful audience here at the Women in Payments Symposium in Canada to please join me in welcoming (laughs) Tanya, Tanya and Suzanne to the show. Um, so, at the top of every show, what we always do is we invite each guest to take a minute to uh, just talk a little bit about your organizations and what you're particularly focused on in the field of diversity inclusion. So, so Rania, let, let me start with you. What are you focused on at the moment?
1: Uh, so, I'm delighted to be here today. This is kind of my first podcast. And so, um, what we're focused on at Scotiabank, Scotiabank is Canada's most international bank. And so, by virtue of that... All of our employees are diverse and they reflect all the communities that we serve. And uh, and so that's been a huge competitive advantage for us. And so I would say it, come, it starts at the very top of the house and the tone at the very top. Our CEO, Brian Porter, leads the uh, Inclusive uh, Council, the Inclusion Council, and they're rolling out a whole bunch of initiatives. One of the key things we're proud of, for example, is Unconscious Bias is now a mandatory training program for all of our employees. Uh, we're part of the... Uh, the uh, uh, the Catalyst uh, Accord that we signed up for and uh, 33% of our board of directors are currently female. So we are very committed to diversity and it's, it's something that's from the very top of the house. We've got lots of core initiatives also that are uh, root cause initiatives. And so, so it's 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 something that's on everyone's metric. Some of the key things we've done on the technology side, we've got something called Ignite that's focusing on how do we ignite our middle managers, our senior managers in terms of taking the stage, finding their voice and developing, developing them as future leaders in the organization. And so even in capital markets as well, we've got the Back to Back the to Street campaign that's part of Women in Capital Markets. And, and to be honest, diversity is now a, a target for each of our leaders across the organization. doesn't matter what business line you're in. And so it's it's a key focus for us, and we see it as a key competitive advantage for us.
0: Wonderful. And there's so much in that we're going to unpick in terms of not only the role of technology, but also leadership, governance, middle management. That, that's a wonderful way to start the show. So thank you very much. Tanya, let me
2: come to you then from, from a Catalyst perspective. Yes, thank oh, what you, are you, Julia. what you Yeah. So uh, Catalyst is, I think I actually have the best job in the country. Catalyst is a non nonprofit. We've been around for a long time. We work with the with about eight hundred companies globally to make process, systemic, behavioral, and cultural change to advance women. We don't focus on the women, the women are fine. We focus on the organizations. So we work <laughs> love. Her. So I have the good fortune of working with leaders at all stages of their diversity and inclusion journeys, and that could be from the very beginning to those that are very far along, as Rania has uh, described at Scotiabank, uh, on where the interventions need to be made to create those systemic changes so that women can advance and we can achieve equity and parity.
0: Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed. And Suzanne, what are your fixed on? Well, Ingenico Group operates today in
3: about 130 countries worldwide. So to say there's diversity would be an understatement. From a corporate level, trying to encourage the inclusion and diversity is a program, a very large program, which translates very differently in different regions. So as head of the Canadian operation, I think what I can bring to this discussion is certain informal initiatives that I've actually put in place to, to encourage the inclusion and diversity among my own teams here, things that I think can also be applied easily in other organizations. Well, and, and
0: there'll be plenty of that. That's one thing we love about this podcast, lots of really good best practice ideas to take take away. So, so let's start with uh, the kind of central question. And what I always see is the essential question. Which is you know, ultimately why diversity and inclusion matters. So, Zan, let me come to you first of all. You know, why does it, you know, do you have, in terms of evidence and uh, uh, talking about why diversity and inclusion matters to gain a commercial and competitive edge?
3: I think it's context, speaking to context. And if you're speaking to an audience, you're not speaking to a homogenous group of people. In your own worlds and in your own lives, there's gotta be, it's rare today, uh, certainly in cosmopolitan areas that you're speaking to uh, one single nationality, one single age group. Uh, there's there's diversity everywhere in our personal lives and our professional lives and whatnot. The ability to communicate effectively, to have to, uh, to identify problems and solutions, is a virtue of context. And coming at it, understanding the context, is a function of getting everyone's perspective. Mm-hmm. It can't be singular, it has to be the broadest perspective p- possible in order to really focus on that full context.
0: And, and just taking that a little bit further, because I know from Cassius, perspective, perspective, you think a lot about um, you know, the, the, the contribution that diversity brings commercially as well. Um, do, do, do you have some evidence that it actually drives change or, or is this just a pipe dream
2: It's not a pipe dream. So we are a research-based organization. We spend tons and tons of time on this topic. Uh, What I would assert is is the following. This is not just the right thing to do, although it is the right thing to do, but it's not just the right thing to do. It is the only thing to do. Because by definition, if you're drawing from only 50% of the population, you are ignoring 50% of the talent base. Therefore, in the remainder of the talent base that you are focusing on, you're going to get a whole bunch of low performance just by regular, you know, performance curves. So opening up your talent window is critical because if you're ignoring part of the talent base, you are missing out on performance. So coming to performance, what we know from study after study after study is that when we have gender-balanced teams, we have higher levels of productivity, higher levels of innovation, and higher levels of creativity. Why that is is because when you introduce different perspectives around a table, they, it has been proven that they consider, they, they consider facts. In other words, they focus more on facts, they consider those facts more carefully, and they generate more creative results around problems. As, and as the world becomes increasingly complex and all of our problems, whether it's within financial services or outside, become increasingly complex, we need more minds and greater creativity around the solutions to those problems.
0: And Rania, you're, you're, you're a commercial leader. I mean, you must be focused on the numbers and really thinking about the, the performance as well. Is that, is that, is that your experience as
1: well? Absolutely. There are two key cultural shifts that we've been undergoing at Scotiabank and one is performance orientation and the other one is customer focus. So going back to what Tanya was saying, customer focus, at the end of the day, if you don't have diversity within your own employee base, you're missing a minimum of 50% of the organization or your communities or your customer base. So you're missing, you're leaving money on the table. And so that ties back to the whole performance orientation. So the way we've delivered diversity inclusion is around that it is a business imperative. In order for us to compete on a global perspective, in order for us to acquire customers and improve our profitability, we need to get this right. And diversity is beyond gender. I know we still have a lot of work to do on the gender front, but diversity is ensuring that we have diversity of thought, diversity of background, education. And we always talk about diversity, but but the most important element is the inclusion part. And so it's easy to get the diversity right. The inclusion is the harder part. Mm -hmm. And that's giving people a voice and making sure that their voice is heard and taking their ideas into consideration. And I think there's a lot more work to be done on that front too. Tommy, let me bring you in then.
2: Yeah, I want to come back to the performance piece because I think so many organizations are trying to figure out whether there is a linkage between diversity and performance. Even though there's reams of data out there, there are many organizations who still don't buy it. And it is a rat hole to go down there. Why? Because the organizations that have already embraced this and are leading with it and are grabbing talent everywhere will leave these other ones in the dust. So I would suggest to all organizations that haven't yet embraced this, frankly, forget the why, because the why is proven. Move on to the how. Mm -hmm. Like, just skip forward, because you've lost a lot of time struggling with your definition of why.
0: And and this is a really important point about, so so those organizations that perhaps... Haven't uh, fully embraced, and I still don't actually. I'm a slightly cynical marketeer. So, so whilst everyone's talking about DNI and the importance of that, and throwing lots of money at hiring people with DNI and saying we're very committed to DNI, are the numbers really changing? And I'm really interested to explore what are the barriers to fully embracing and, and having a fully um, a fully diverse uh, employee base. I mean, what do you see, Suzanne, as some of the major barriers that that, that stop uh, organisations from becoming fully diverse?
3: And inclusive,
0: I should say, as well.
3: I think when you 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 look for a job, you seek a job, you base it on the talent that you have, what you're going to be skilled at, and where you're going to make where you're going to make the impact. The opportunities that exist within the organization from that point on are a function of what the organization is gonna allow you to be able to experience. And sometimes it's hard if you're in a position where you are not with the customer facing folks or you're not the one making the presentation or you simply don't have, you don't actually have a voice in what it is that you do because your job is just not a voice required job. Um, their need, companies need to take initiatives in order to be able to give that voice uh, to employees. And that can be through very informal means of doing it. Getting people who would otherwise never make a presentation to actually do that in front of their peers, and, and that works both ways: a voice for them in order to to be able to do something different and to showcase a talent that you otherwise may not know, uh, but also for management and their peers to see, "Wow, where did where did that person come from?" Like
0: Ronnie, point. I mean, you you were talking about that, that middle management layer and thinking about how do you, and I think you talked about uh, ignite. So I think was one of your initiatives around that. How how do, how do you help middle managers sort of overcome? Uh, the fear of diversity let's call it
1: so so I mean there are formal programs sponsorships and so on but at the end of the day I, I truly believe that we need more role models for people to say I can aspire to reach that new height and I think organizations need to take chances they need to promote women sooner and and by role modeling it'll also unleash that middle management to say you know what that could be me someday I, I could strive to do that There's also the discussion I think I mentioned about unconscious bias. My concern is that we all have unconscious biases based on our backgrounds, our education, uh, our religion, a whole bunch of of things. And because we've become so politically correct, to be honest, I think we've stopped having open conversations about what our true biases are. And so I think that is a barrier, and we need to have that, that freedom both for men talking and sharing their insights with us and without us being defensive about it and trying to change their perspectives on how they can see things from our from our side. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a number of barriers, but I truly believe that that is one of the key barriers. We need to have more open and honest conversations so that we can have an opportunity to educate both sides in terms of here's our perspective and here's how you see things. Because there's truth on both sides.
0: Absolutely. And Tanya, the advice that you give organizations, does that does that resonate with you and are there other barriers that you come across that you try and help people navigate?
2: Yes, so I would echo Rania's comments. I think that uh, we we are in this time living in fear. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the biggest fears the world over is resource scarcity. Now, for some, that may be a scarcity of water. It may be a scarcity of food. It may be a scarcity of income. All of these things are impacting the world. But as it relates to diversity and inclusion, it's often a scarcity of jobs. And so this can often come across as a zero-sum game. If I win, then you lose, full stop. So fear is a big, big factor in what is inhibiting us from moving forward. And then there are two others which are really uh, related to fear. One is unconscious bias, as has talked about, and, and we all have that, right? We all have that, and our ability to actually build the skills to communicate across difference is critical. So we spend a lot of time at that with companies, training that into the organization. But there is also the conscious bias. So we can't forget that racism and sexism and many of the isms still are very prevalent in our society. So we have to be very careful not to put everything in the unconscious bias bucket because it makes us feel comfortable. There is still a lot of conscious bias that exists out there, and in there is a, a wonderful quote out there. I guess "wonderful" is the wrong word, but there is a memorable quote out there, and I don't know who said it first, but it goes like this: For those accustomed to uh, privilege, equality feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. And when we think about that, whether we think about it along gender lines or racial lines, ethnic lines, physical ability, sexual orientation, that that notion can apply to all of us. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to give up your more privileged seat for someone else. Mm -hmm. And so change is hard. It's very, very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Um, And... And yeah, and I'll stop talking now.
0: Well, one of the things that I have to think about, which is, is how do organisations give permission to middle managers who have been arguably hired in a certain way, trained in a certain way, led in a certain way, measured in a certain way, paid in a certain way? How how do they provide the support around them in order to take those risks that also that then would leave them or lead them? to giving up that seat to allow somebody else into it. And I'm very interested in kind of some of those things. Uh, Suzanne, let me bring you in there.
3: I would say that uh, as a leader, as a manager, uh, you need to go rogue. I think part of it is to say, okay, there's corporate guidance and there's things that you have to work within, uh, but your staff are being measured. The performance measurements are based on what the desired outputs are. And those are tied to revenue objectives and those, you know, different things, depending on whether you're a public or private company. But there are opportunities, I think, that we as women have to take to say, okay, what can I do differently within my organization that's not going to disrupt the achievement of objectives nor disrupt the individual's achievement of their personal or performance objectives, but is complementary and might allow them to shine in a completely different way because you're tasking them with something that is not part of their day-to-day job, but that might allow them to shine in a way that will be a pivotal trigger for them, a pivotal moment to say, Hey, wait! This is you know I'm now in a uh, programmer job, but really I'm kind of grooving on this project stuff. I like I like the innovation, I like the dynamism, uh, and or others who are just seem to be the quiet, timid individuals who have just such massive passion uh, and and interest in certain topics that when given the opportunity to speak to them. You suddenly realize that these people can present, and that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. So I've done certain things within the organization, creating my own invitation to all women within Ingenico to join the mentorship group. And to say it's diverse is is incredible. There are numerous nationalities. Every single department is represented. There's a 40-year age difference from the youngest to the oldest. It's so diverse. Uh, I've called it Spice Girls, and I've got I've got <laughs> I've got a few of them here in the back. Um, and part of what that process is is hearing what it is that they see as challenges within the organization, what it is that they want to do, and understanding that what they got hired to do today is something that they're doing on a path to other things. Mm -hmm. And that what I hope as their as as their manager that I'm able to help them in that journey within Ingenico, but beyond that as well, through what will be their you know long career.
0: And 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 I'm interested sort of just taking that a little bit further in terms of because part of that's about overcoming the barriers to change in terms of just looking at the organisation and also having empathy for the fact that organisations have many, many different cultural and and age is very interesting actually in, in the discussion about diversity. What happens when we all hit 50? You know, we're all going to fall off a cliff. Um, I'm, I'm, let's just take a bit further on into um, accelerating factors, what's going to accelerate change. And Ronnie, I'd like to bring you in at this point just to sort of think about you know, within your organization, because if we continue on this journey, it could be another generation or two before we get to complete equality, which you know, arguably is, is far too slow. And, and I'm really interested when we talk to all our guests about where are the leapfrog or the accelerating
1: opportunities? So I guess coming from a financial institution and having spent my entire career in one, um, I'm big on what doesn't get measured, doesn't happen. And so uh, we need hard metrics and you need to hold people accountable. So it can't be just a lot of talk. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're looking at, you know, balancing financial results versus, you know, hitting your numbers on making sure your workforce is diverse, we have to hold people accountable. Otherwise, things aren't going to change. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I think holding people accountable is absolutely critical. Creating opportunities, and again, not just for gender, but all for all diverse people, because I truly believe barriers are there for everybody. We're all individuals, and we all have different barriers. So ensuring that people are trained, given opportunities, stretch opportunities, I, would, I always recommend take risks go where there's growth opportunities where there's going to be funding go into a P&L role where there's going to be a lot of support there's going to be lots of eyes where high risk comes high high rewards and that's advice I would give whether you're a man, you're a woman, you're young, you're old, go, go where there's a lot of opportunity. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you don't measure it and you don't hold people accountable, I don't think we can accelerate. I mean, there are other things you can do from an HR perspective, and I think we're doing it, where, you know what, it's making sure that from a gender-biased perspective, your resumes, you can't tell if it's a man or a woman, but that's just really getting them in through the door, but it's how do you grow them and retain them and develop them within your organization. So we need to hold our leaders accountable.
0: And, and I think you've you touched on the, kind of the recruitment process uh, and, and some of the processes around that. I hear a lot of people just talk about, yeah, unfortunately, we're getting the same, we're just fishing in the same pool. And so when you look at the industry, you just go, it's, it's the same, the same, whether that's you know, whichever bit of diversity that is, particularly sort of around gender, is it's just the same people are gonna be moving around. How do, we, how do we reach a bit further and accelerate that change even further? I'd be very interested in your views there, Tammy.
2: Yeah, I mean, someone said to me not long ago, if you wanna hire women, hire women. Like I do think we've (laughs) overcomplicated this problem a little bit. That's right, frankly. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Overthinking the problem. Yeah, they are. I totally agree. So, and listen, that would be true from the mining sector through the technology sector through the banking sector through you know every sector you can think of. Now, of course, they each have their own individual characteristics and challenges Mm -hmm. and so on. Um, So, I think what organizations need to do is they, of course, they need to spread their networks. They need to think more creatively about what the must-haves and the nice. To have are in the roles for which they are recruiting, and that will allow them to think more creatively about skill sets that they can bring into the organization and where they may find those skill sets. They also need to start working with their pipelines, whether those are universities or technical schools or even down into the high school level, to ensure that they're starting to socialize their career uh, pathways as places where people would want to work, as a place where an Indigenous person would want to work, or a woman of colour would want to work, or you know what have you, or a person with a disability could work and feel very embraced. So that whole process needs to happen, and then you can't have nasty... Uh, stories come out in the news that reflect a completely different culture. Mm-hmm. So, to Rania's point, if your culture is not inclusive, that's going to get out, mm-hmm. right? So, do the hard work inside first, get that as right as you can, and uh, parallel process your networking um, because that—that's the only way we're going to build this up. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and Suzanne, so in terms of, I, I really like what you were saying there about. Um, I was saying earlier about how spending time with your teams and thinking about where, where, where people begin their careers and where they end their careers. We had a very interesting discussion here this morning about you know, a lot of these skills you know, didn't exist or these jobs didn't exist five years ago and what they, they're gonna look like in a few years hence. And, and when you look at your organization and think about, you, know, you might've come in in one particular role and then you can move into another. Um, and take this a little bit further into that in terms of how do you, how do you assess um, who's gonna be fit for the organization tomorrow and who's gonna be your shining role models to inspire others as you go forward?
3: Try to create a lot of stress with my executive management team by looking at the youngest person on staff who's sitting here and saying, she'll get my job one day. And I say that and I say it sincerely because who's to say she won't? Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was that person. Uh, And someone may have said that to me in passing at the time and I thought, wow, but... Maybe, maybe that, that's me. I think what, what defines your career path or what has traditionally been the career path, go through the grind, go this step, this step, this step, I think that changes now. Uh, it can be very different. Uh, and you can leap and you can jump and you can do different things if you're if you're interested in it, if you're sponsored properly, if you're given the opportunity, and it's gotta go both ways. I think the organization needs to encourage the ability for people to show the talent that may not be reflected in their day to day, but by the same token, ladies, you gotta, you got to get out there and show somebody something that you can do that's very different. Uh, we do lunch and learn programs. Most companies have them. I've deliberately asked those that are you know the usual suspects who will do the lunch and learns to stop talking and to let everybody else. Uh, I will, I've opened it to the entire organization. If you're passionate about something and you want to share it with the organization, you think it's going to have enough appeal to attract enough people, do it. I'm mind-blown by the individuals that are getting up and presenting. The quietest person, who I I wouldn't have even recognized their voice, stands up and and, and does a great pitch with humor, handouts, and and we're all completely engaged. Well, my impression of that individual as a senior person on staff has completely changed because I got to see that person in a completely different light. And that person didn't have to do that. It doesn't change anything with their job. But I have to believe that that individual's self-esteem this must have gone up, as well as the impact that that must have across the whole group to say, hey, uh, maybe I want to jump on, I want to do something like that.
0: So we're going to move into the last few minutes of the podcast. It's amazing how time flies by. I'm, I'm really interested in what you're optimistic about, particularly as we sit here and inspire uh, people in the room here. And there must be a good sort of 200, 300 people here, which is extraordinary. Um, and also, my, uh, I guess our call to action to you about how you can go forth and inspire others as well. Let me, let me ask each of you. What are you what, let me start with you, Suzanne. What are you optimistic about?
3: That a woman that is empowered, regardless of her age and what she's doing, can do something meaningful, and have an impact if she's empowered. And it's on
2: us to empower. I'm an inherent optimist. Um, So I'm optimistic that we are seeing more change at a slightly more rapid pace than we have seen, let's say, in the last 10 years. Unfortunately, that is riding on the back of some. Things like the rise of the Me Too movement, which is mm-hmm. not an optimistic topic. Um, but because organizations, regulators, investors, and governments in many countries are now coming together and acting in a more coordinated way, I am optimistic that we are going to see more change. Cautiously optimistic.
1: Great,
0: wonderful. And finally, Rania.
1: And so I would say that uh, it's great that we're at the Women in Payments because not only is payments an exciting place to be, but I actually think it's an exciting time for women. I think the, the me movement right now, the regulators, um, there's, there's a momentum that's happening and this is really our time to shine. And so I think we, we really need to grab that opportunity and run with it. I have a son and daughter at home and I keep telling my daughter, this is your chance. This is our chance collectively. And I think, you know, just being in this room, you can just kind of feel the energy. And I, so I, I honestly think this is our time. This is our time.
0: Fabulous, uh, that's a perfect place to leave it. It's been the most fascinating discussion. Thank you very much. And as always, we could have talked for so much longer. However, sadly, we're just out of time. Audience members here at the Women in Payment Symposium here in Toronto, Canada, please join me in thank you our guests today. Suzanne Dennecourt, Tanya Belfeason, and Tanya Ren. Thank you very much.
3: This episode of Diversity Podcast was recorded live at the Women in Payment Symposium in Toronto, Canada, on the 27th of September 2018. Thanks to the event organisers and their tech team for enabling the recording. Final mixing of production was done by me, Kieran Yates, on behalf of Julia Streets Productions. You can find all previous episodes of Diversity Podcast on our website, www.diversitypodcast.com diversitypodcast.com and that's diversity with a C not an S We can also be found on iTunes Stitcher and Bright Talk Diversity Podcast is now a syndicated radio show on the women's radio station Thanks for listening